Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is our next episode of The Exponential Wisdom, and I've got my global scout, Peter Diamandis, who's always out there finding really great new things to learn about, to actually master, but mostly to invest in and keep expanding your mind about what's possible in the future, regardless of what industry that you're in. And today, Peter, we have a fascinating one, and that's the entertainment industry, which has probably gone through as many rapid and unpredictable changes in the last 25 or 30 years as any industry on the planet. Agreed. I'll challenge you on the unpredictability of it in the following way. You know, the way that I think about predicting the future is I use my 6D tools, 6Ds of exponential growth that obviously you know about it and we've used it together and spoken about it. Just to remind folks who are listening what the 6Ds are, it's the notion that anything that becomes digitized And we've digitized music, right? That's the whole concept of the MP3 file. When you digitize something, it enters a period of slow, deceptive growth, and then it disrupts industries by dematerializing, demonetizing, and democratizing. And if you think about it, you can think that notion through that the 6Ds actually have created some predictable changes in the music industry. Maybe let's talk about the dematerialization of it first. And one of my favorite stories there, Dan, is how Netflix dematerialized Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you and I both remember going to a Blockbuster store on Friday night. You'd go there, you'd go through the aisles and you'd find a first a video and then eventually a DVD and you'd check it out for a weekend or a week. I actually know the numbers because I've studied it in 2008. Nine Blockbuster goes bankrupt. And the year before that, they had twice had the option to buy Netflix. And Netflix, Reed Hastings, who's the CEO there, had a small company. And he wanted to sell themselves to Blockbuster, but Blockbuster just ignored them and said they were not competition. The year that Blockbuster goes bankrupt, Netflix is worth $2 billion. And then eight years later, Nine years later now, it's worth $150 billion, right? Mm -hmm. And that's it's ridden this exponential growth curve as you were able to dematerialize it Mm -hmm. and then make it available to everyone. Crazy, crazy change. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Babs and I, first of all, besides renting things, we used to go to the movie theater a lot. My last movie was on New Year's Day this year. So uh, we're approaching eight months and I haven't been to the movie theater for eight months. And the reason is one of the wonderful things about Netflix for me is these long series, a lot of them coming out of the UK. The UK has really seen the opportunity here. And I'm watching a series now that has 61 hour episodes. Wow. What what is it? This is Vikings. Uh But I've watched many series that are at least 10, some of them 20, some of them 30. And uh, it's very comfortable. You know, you come home at night, we eat in front of the TV set because we got big screen, we got wraparound sound. So one of the big changes here, it's made possible for everybody to have their own movie theater in their home with almost an unlimited choice about what they want to follow that night. I mean, that's my experience. And we used to always go to the movie theater. I grew up with movie theaters sure. in the 1950s, and it was like a cultural enjoyment. And then after a while, I didn't find it enjoyable anymore. Yeah, large crowds and sticky 
floors. Well, really, dog films. You know, if I have a dog <laughs> film in a movie theater, you know, there's been a real sacrifice to be disappointed. <laughs> now it's a matter of a click, you know, to undo my disappointment. It is amazing. So we've dematerialized movie theaters. We've dematerialized Blockbuster. And at the same time, what follows next is the demonetization that you pay a monthly fee and get as much content as you want. You're Mr. Hastings, who created Netflix. He was so ticked off because he got a late charge, like he was like a half a day late or something, and they charged him. You know, they penalized him for bringing it back, and I think it just got his dander up. Yeah. I mean, talk about people making money for no value creation. That sounds like no money from value creation. Here's a cool one. You know, Netflix this year... They're investing about, I think the number is seven or eight billion dollars in original content. And they're going to be creating more original content than Disney and a number of the networks put together. Out of no place, right? They didn't exist 10 years ago and they're beating the mouse. Yeah. We watch Game of Thrones, you know, yeah. which is one of these long series. And I was looking at the salaries of the top five or six characters, you know, the actors, and they're making a million dollars an episode. This is really good money for actors. Yeah. So we've dematerialized movie theaters and videotapes and blockbuster, so to speak, and now we're demonetizing it, right? The cost yeah. is super cheap. And then if you look at YouTube, oh my goodness, this phenomenon in which we literally have made entertainment free yes. around the world is extraordinary. And finally, democratization is the final point where this global internet has allowed anyone anywhere to get access to free entertainment. So it's transformed the entire entertainment industry. Yeah, and put enormous emphasis on creative people who can come up with original material. So the question is, where is the next big disruption coming from? Where is it going? There's a couple areas I'm thinking about. One is the virtual worlds. Mm -hmm. And the second is going to be, obviously, the impact of AI and the combination of those two are interesting for me. So let me just pitch you my vision. So I've seen AI create renderings of dead stars. Mm -hmm. We saw this with Princess Leia in the last Star Wars episode feature film. And, and Princess Leia is coming back in the next. And of course, this is all being created using artificial intelligence. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw folks like, you know, pick your favorite Marilyn Monroe coming back to the main screen. Yeah. And then the other thing is in the virtual world, I think you'll see AIs embodying virtual avatars where an AI is a character that you get to go and have a conversation with that sounds exactly like, you know, is consistent and is always surprising you and always entertaining you. So you know, the whole virtual world of entertainment, going and living in Westworld, so to speak, is going to become a fascinating place to go. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is that the technology now supports imagination in a way that it didn't 40 or 50 years ago. You know, I mean, if you think of the old studios, I mean, you're, you're right in the neighborhood where you live there. The studios were a great packaging breakthrough of how the studios 
would wrap up actors and then they would just keep them busy. I remember Ronald Reagan, when he ran for president in 1980, they were complaining that he was such a crappy actor, you know, <laughs> and the, the films that he played in were lousy movies. And he said, well, they didn't tell me they wanted a great movie. They just told me they wanted it on Tuesday. <laughs> you know, the old system. But if you think about the Netflix examples, they're pumping out major productions, original major productions, faster than the old studio, the bosses, the people who really put Hollywood on the map. They couldn't even conceive of how the material is being produced. But not only that, the audience that they're getting right now, you know, and they bypassed all commercial advertising, so they don't have to pay the advertising costs anymore because it's right there on your screen. If it makes it on Netflix, what more advertising do you actually need? Yeah. So the whole advertising of events is really radically changing. What it proves is that people really like to be preoccupied with things that entertain them. You know, globally, it's not a peculiar culture that likes being entertained. It's human nature. We all love stories from the mm -hmm. early days of the campfire. In fact, you learn something much better when it's told to you in a story format yeah. than you do in just factual when you're able to remember. And our brains think that way and learn that way. You know, one of the things that you had mentioned to me when we were talking before this conversation was the whole transformation of the business model and how money is made in the entertainment industry has changed dramatically. Yeah, but I would say that if you compare the companies, let's say there are companies, because I think ultimately if you got something to sell, you want a company wrapped around it, but the companies are really very small companies. You know, you can have major production companies who will then collaborate with other companies and simply get the talent through collaboration rather than having it all inside their organization. So you'll see a movie start and there'll be five or six companies advertised at the beginning of the film. And you didn't see that in the old days. You saw MGM or you saw Warner Brothers. So what's happening, it's kind of like the car industry. Nobody designs cars in Detroit anymore. Nobody designs cars you know, like the new styles and that, that all come out of specialized shops. And I think that what's happening is that there's a massive collaboration now where you only pay for the talent that's going to be meaningful for producing your product, and you're not going to have layers and layers of bureaucracy inside. I think bureaucracy is a target animal. Whenever you apply your six Ds, we're talking about entertainment now, but you could look at anywhere in the world where there's layers and layers of bureaucracy. You know that that's prime for disruption. A hundred percent. And then it's the decentralization, right, which is essentially democratization of also the origin. So I had an interesting, my two seven-year-olds are playing a lot of Minecraft and watching YouTube. And one of my boys yesterday said, when I grow up, I want to become a YouTuber. And I was like, okay. And I just never, you know, again, the idea that he watches somebody who educates him over YouTube on how to play a particular game. But these stars are becoming very successful explaining games. And you've got these guys who are playing games like Fortnite and on the Twitch network. You know, who knew there's a network called Twitch for video game playing yeah. where you watch people play video games. That's entertainment. Yeah. Just watching them play and they're making, you know, a million dollars per day just playing games. 
Yeah, well, Matt Lair, who you know from San Diego, he's got this very fast turnaround. And here's another whole aspect of the entertainment industry is products that you sell in relationship to a particular entertainment event. And one of the things he said that he discovered, because he can turn around clothing in a matter of minutes or hours, and he said that the industry that he's really zeroed in on is the gaming industry. Interesting. And he said that a gaming competitions, you know, in Los Angeles, they'll have the forum and they'll have 20,000, 30,000 people show up just to see some gamers going at each other. But he says the teams that will actually compete with each other, they can be put together in a matter of days, but the paraphernalia industry that goes along with entertainment can't respond. But Matt can, like he can actually create caps and t-shirts in a matter of hours for an upcoming event. So there's a lot of the money in the entertainment industry is actually made on the products that people buy because they're fans of a particular star or a particular series. And that's all changed too, and that's become worldwide now too. I mean, you were talking about where money is made and the flips and the flops that are occurring. You know, it used to be that musical stars would make their money when they get a record deal. Yeah. And that's no longer the case, is it? No. And here's the reason why it hasn't. You know, Steve Jobs is the one who cracked the code on this. And I think it was in his wilderness years after he had been fired from Apple the first time and he got involved with Pixar Pixar, you know, all their first seven hits were designed one afternoon or one weekend where they just got a bunch of people together and they jotted out these were the themes. So all these, Toy Story and all all the others. But the big thing he went after was the record industry. And it was always one of the most disagreeable parts of the old record industry, especially when you had lawn playing albums that you had a song you really wanted to get a hold of, but to buy your one song, you had to buy 11 others. <laughs> Steve Jobs said, well, why don't we just let them buy the one song that they want? And 99 cents, and instead of giving the artist five cents, we'll give the artist 60 cents. And every artist in the world will want to be on iTunes. So, you know, you say it's predictable. The one thing that's not predictable about these disruptions is who it is and what it is that will take advantage of the six Ds. Yeah. Yeah, that's never predictable. The entertainment industry was such a monolithic, you know, insider industry here in L.A. where you breaking in was so difficult. Yeah. Right. And so now that has changed. I mean, the ability to you can break in from the bottom, from the side, from the top, you can recreate it. But it all comes down to giving a person the ability to escape for a little while in an area that they like. Yeah. Well, as you said right at the beginning of the podcast, storytelling is a universal attractor. If you can tell a great story there's always going to be room in the entertainment industry for you. And so my feeling is that we're kind of going back to the beginning. I'm a great student of Shakespeare because Shakespeare was the first actor who created his own theater. Mm. And it was a profit-making theater on the south bank of the Thames. He put together a company. They created their own theater. And he made tons of money. Actually, after he made his money in theater, he became a wheat speculator because there were famines in 
England every five or six years. And so he stockpiled wheat, and then he made a ton of money on wheat speculation. And then he went back to Stratford-Navon and became a big real estate investor. So he was a pure entrepreneur right from the beginning. Wow. And my sense is that it's all these industries that you're talking about favor entrepreneurism. So absolutely, yes. And your ability to start rapidly and scale rapidly now comes into existence. You know, one of the disruptions that's going to hit the entertainment industry, and I don't know that people can really grapple with this, is you mentioned if you're a good storyteller or a good writer or a good composer or a good creative agent, it's going to be the entry of AI into this because Mm -hmm. we're seeing for the first time AIs fronted by a human. In other words, the AI writes a piece of music and a human submits it because... You have to. And then you're seeing these AI written musical pieces, short stories, movie scripts actually winning competitions. Yeah. If you take, you know, sitcoms, you know, on television, they're based on a formula. So if it's based on a formula, AI will grasp that formula pretty quickly and probably do a better job of using the formula. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how much of this, when I go and want escapism, where your AI agent is able to know all the things that you've enjoyed, how you're feeling, what your physiology is, what your day was like and deliver to you the perfect entertainment experience, you know, it's just in time. I mean, we have AI-driven recommendation engines right now, but Mm -hmm. your AI is going to know how you're feeling, your state of mind, and like you're super stressed, you need something to relax, or you're whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. Yeah. So that's going to be fascinating. Well, it's a comfortable world for people who are agile. I'll mention one last thing that I'm super excited about in the entertainment space which is the combination of experiential entertainment. So you go to a movie theater right now, and that movie theater experience, or if you're home at Netflix, that Netflix is a passive, you have an experience that comes to you and you're done at the end. Like, wow, that was great. But there's a technology, one of the investments we made at Bold Capital that we showed a couple years ago at A360. We're going to bring back to A360 this coming year is Dreamscape. And it's a world in which you put on a VR headset and you put on a haptic suit that can feel vibration and motion and so forth. And you enter into a virtual world and you explore that world and you experience that world and you move around that world and you interact Mm -hmm. in that world eventually with AI characters. But it's a fascinating... We just saw an amazing movie that came out, Ready Player One, And I think it's the early days of Ready Player One, where you're going and you're living a virtual existence and interacting in a virtual world in a way that's fully immersive and extraordinary. And it's participatory, too. Participatory, and the story branches in a multitude of unique ways that's your personal experience. So I think that's going to get super exciting for people. Yeah, So let me ask you the question, when would you do that and when would you just like to be passive? Yeah, I think it's a matter of, there are times where I just want to sit back on the couch with a glass of wine and just like, you know, just, I think the term is vegetate. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if someone followed you around for a week, that would be entertainment to them. (laughs) Because it seems to me that you participate in a lot of different 
what I would say, discovery processes every week that keep your synapses flashing away. And probably, you know, at the end of a day like that, you would just like to have a break from that. It is, absolutely. But then there's the option where if I'm looking for a entertaining, fun night out, Mm-hmm. where I can imagine joining with some friends in a virtual world like Ready Player One and going in for a crazy experience, you know, like, hey, let's go to ancient Babylon tonight and mm-hmm. check it out there and see mm-hmm. what's going on there. Or let's go into a, you know, an alien world and, and go and walk around and see what's going. And Or I love the idea if you're about to go to Rome and you've never been before, imagine being able to go and walk around the streets of Rome with an AI guide that shows you all the hotspots. And so when you physically go there, your experience of Rome is one that seems familiar and you're not wasting time trying to figure out where to go because you've looked at 10 different areas and go and you haven't traveled between them physically. You've, you've gone rapid fire and you can say, okay, when I'm there for that week, I want to go see these three that I had a chance. So I think we're just at the beginning of the adventure for the transformation of entertainment and entertainment bumping into education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, clearly, I think the stats are something like you remember 10% of what you read, but you remember 90% of what you experience. Yes. So turning education into an experience Mm -hmm. and the whole edutainment side of the equation, I think, super amazing future ahead of us in that regard. Yeah, and there's a quick way to get a sense of this, you know, of the difference that the future will make. And let's go back, you know, I was born in in the 40s. And, you know, I was born with radio, and I can remember my first experience of television. And I was blown away by television, you know, because I grew up with Sergeant Preston of the Yukon and Sky King, (laughs) uh, you know, and it was quite a shift to actually go to television. So that's 70 years ago, but things weren't accelerating the way they're accelerating right now. So it won't take 70 years to get that difference. I'm excited for where it's going to be. I'm clear that we haven't experienced 10% or a fraction of that from what we're going to see in the next 10 years. And what entertainment life of my seven-year-olds is going to be like, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, well, you know, if you use Ray Kurzweil's model, we're probably at 1%, which means we're halfway there. (laughs) Yes, we are, my friend. (laughs) All right, well, when we get together next, remind me what you want to talk about. Yes, I'd like to talk about grateful for technology, because I think this is a missing factor in the entire technological world. Gratitude. Gratitude. I love gratitude. I think gratitude is one of the most important things in all of our lives for making sure that you enjoy your life. And yeah, I'm grateful for technology. Don't you think everybody else is? No. No. All right. Well, that's a good subject for conversation. No, I don't. Especially a lot of the people who are making technology. I don't think they're grateful at all. Oh, let's explore that next. All right, pal. As always, a pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Take care, Dan.